morning. The discussion panel coming up, we're going to keep moving uh, pretty quickly. The, the discussion panelists are going to be asked to just give one or two minute answers as often as possible. We'd also like questions from the audience uh, often throughout the discussion panel to keep it interactive. I also want to mention that, um, you know, when David was up here talking about questions that people have in the audience and he recommends that they come to us with the questions, part of the way that we're able to be helpful is really just seeing what everybody does when they start raising capital or what everyone does when they start running a family office that they don't do long term. And what I found is that almost everyone who starts raising capital makes the same mistakes. Almost everyone starting a family office makes the same mistakes. So we try to share that knowledge through our events. If we can get everyone to quiet down now, we're going to have Andres take the microphone. Thank you if everyone could uh, quiet down. And I'll hand it off to, to uh, Andres now to get started on this discussion panel. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Good morning, everyone. I hope everyone has had an excellent morning and a great uh, commute over to our event. Uh, we seem to have a pretty full event. Um, my name is Andre Sospina. I direct the Charter Membership Program here. Uh, if you could quickly raise your hand if we've had a, if you and I have actually been on the phone or have exchanged emails in the past. Go ahead. No, no, no chicken wings, guys. Don't be shy. We're all friends here. Great. Um, so I definitely want to thank you for your time being here, for your time uh, in the past in our conversations. Um, I know that, uh, that the biggest investment for you is uh, the investment of time to be here. Um, so we really hope to deliver on that. Um, I'm your first uh, panel moderator for today, and today's panel is going to be the Texas Investor Environment. How is the investor and the investment landscape in Texas changing, and what to expect next? So I always like to give... Uh, my panelists, uh, some energy. So if we can please give a big round of applause to our, pan to our first panel today. And uh, I'll go around and um, if each of you could just give a quick uh, one-minute introduction to who you are, who you represent. Uh, so we'll start off with, uh, with Chris. Hello, my name is Chris Powers. Uh, I'm the CEO of Fort Capital in Fort Worth, Texas. We are a real estate investment company focused on um, Class B industrial urban properties throughout DFW, Houston, El Paso, and San Antonio, so really all in Texas. And we also have a venture capital side of our business investing in uh, the technology that is building the real estate industry and the built world um, into the future. Excellent. Thank you. David? Good morning, everyone. My name is David Fong. I'm a general counsel and an investment partner at GFO Companies, uh, which stands for Gupta Family Office. Uh, GFO Companies is a family office investment platform that's been around for about 40 years. Uh, our assets are primarily in tech and in real estate. And in the real estate side, uh, we focus uh, mainly in student housing and uh, value-add apartments. Uh, our assets are located in the real estate side in western states, Texas, California, which is where we're based, uh, Nevada and Arizona. Great. Excellent. Thank you. Paul? Yeah, thank you. Uh, my name is Paul Watson, and I'm a native Texan. Whoop! Yeah. 
And uh, I'm, uh, my background is uh, engineering, finance, and linguistics. Uh, I'm here today representing Climate Impact Capital. We were founded by uh, the Alex Rosenfeld, who used to run Shell Technology Ventures. Our focus is kind of the future of decarbonization, combining oil and gas with where we're going in this uh, renewable energy revolution and uh, really looking to evolve into uh, more of a decarbonized power utility space. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Paul. Um, Matt. Uh, good morning, everyone. Matthew Brown. Uh, I am the general partner and interim uh, chief compliance officer, not by my choosing, at uh, uh, Energent LP, which is the investment manager for a series of funds, one of uh, which is Energent uh, Infrastructure Fund. Um, we uh, primarily invest our capital, which is about 98% uh, based in Texas, uh, into renewable energy infrastructure, alternative, en uh, alternative energy infrastructure. Uh, I believe later today we'll be filing our latest ADV, and we have about $3.6 under management. Great. Thank you so much. Um, so I asked for this a lot. So a round of applause for our panelists again after that introduction. I'll get you guys tired of clapping today. I have about two more panels to do, I promise. So, um, but uh, to start off with, uh, with my first question is, um, since we are discussing the Texas investment environment, what do you feel is unique about the Texas market? And where does your day-to-day -day, uh, take you in regards to that? Um, so we'll start, I'll start off with, uh, with Matthew. I'll, I'll give a, a very short answer on that. Um, having been Having offices in New York, California, Hawaii, uh, here in Texas, uh, Texas is the, uh, I would say, uh, our, our premier office, our headquarters. And the reason being, we're three hours from each coast. Uh, we have everything we need here. And we've got very, uh, you know, we have three dynamic, well, more than three, but primarily three dynamic cities here in Texas. You got Dallas, you got Fort Worth, and you got Austin. All three of them couldn't be more different than the other. Uh, the policy here in Texas uh, has been very favorable for us. And um, it has been a great place for us to, uh, to deploy, ca uh, deploy our capital. Thank you, Paul. Yep. Uh, Texas is uh, unique for us, uh, especially for those that are familiar with renewable energy in that we have one ISO that covers 75 to 80% of our state. So it makes it very, uh, very interesting in terms of that ISO that manages the electricity or transfer these photons back and forth to be right within the state. We don't have to across different public utilities or state public utilities. Uh, so the investment environment within that stance is pretty interesting. Uh, also, Texas is the energy capital. I grew up in Houston, and I remember I used to could not say renewable energy without getting my ass kicked. Uh, it was uh, definitely a bad word. I would get tree hugger, all this negative stuff, and that's only 15 years ago. So it's been really unique in that a state that had such a strong position on it has really evolved to be the leader in wind generation and uh, a lot of opportunities with, with the dynamic uh, our other panelists just mentioned. We have Austin that has this kind of techie scene, very software focused, very much in line with our digitalization of the industry all the way to uh, Houston, which has traditional oil and gas. and. In good old Dallas, which being from Houston, we uh, we sometimes get along with Dallas. But. David, so I'm the out-of-state investor. Uh, we're from California, uh, which is where we uh, started the family office, and uh, original uh, assets were based. 
Um, but I love Texas. I think Texas, the growth and the opportunities here are so much better, uh, especially than, than California, especially with all the regulations and taxes we have to pay. And that's why we're here. Um, we, we have a, a fair amount of apartments in the Dallas-Fort Worth and also in Arlington uh, and the student housing side. We have assets over at TCU, UT Arlington, and uh, UT Austin. So, you know, we're a big fan of Texas, uh, especially with corporations coming here like Toyota and other groups. You know, it's just to, to us, we see a great opportunity here, and that's why we're here. Thank you. Um, we love Texas. We're, we're very bullish on Texas. Um, there might be a bias there just because we're here, but um, as we look around the United States at states that are um, offering the best business climate, the best bang for your buck, uh, job growth, um, and really becoming what I believe will become one of the next tech hubs with Austin leading that charge, um, we, you know, all we are really focused on the major markets, you know, we have oil and gas, we have DFW Airport, can, can, is, am I, is it going through? Yep, okay. Um, we have the ports, we have border trade, um, we have great climate, um, friendly state, and good politics at the government level, and so just a very business-friendly environment, and um, I think I read a stat the other day that in the next 15 years we'll have four more cities with over, that, are, that currently are not over a million with over a million people in the state of Texas. Excellent. Thank you. Um, so I've definitely heard a lot about the recent growth in Texas um, and why it's uh, such a good place to invest in. And, and in terms of, you know, the politics, the, um, the county regulations, permitting challenges, you know, you mentioned, David, how California can be a lot more challenging in that regard. Um, where do you feel here those things actually benefit you or even create maybe some hurdles uh, that you well definitely definitely on the regulatory side the you know zoning is I'll give you a very specific example actually so we have a property at the uh, University of Texas Arlington and one of the things we did when we bought it was uh, the ground floor was a uh, retail space and it it had never worked as retail, but when the developer built it 10 years ago, the city required him, you know, they wanted this kind of mixed-use retail. And so he did the minimum amount of retail space that he could, but it never worked. And so for the last 10 years, they tried all sorts of tenants, and it was always vacant. So one of our strategies was, hey, let's convert that back into what its best use was, which is really to lease it to students and convert it into, into residential. So we had to go, and we got a zoning change and took us with some local you know, experts, former planning commission people, that kind of stuff, took us about six months to get it done. And that would have been like over two years in California, and I would have had to go to public hearings. And, I, you know, you get yelled at tree hugger. I, you, know, <laughs> you know, there's all sorts of words people describe developers. And so um, it's that kind of environment that we love about Texas. Excellent. And, Paula, could you elaborate a little bit on that in terms of, you know, the renewable energy space and how maybe regulations have changed, how it's what has allowed it to become maybe a little simpler and create some momentum here in, in Texas? Yeah, uh, for sure. I, I'll try to keep it short because, uh, you know, especially in the power and utility sector, there are a lot of different variations between California and Texas, for example, to the tune of 25 to 35, 25 to 30 cents per kilowatt hour, 20 to 30 cents per kilowatt hour versus what I pay, 8 to 10 cents. Now, not, in, not only in addition to what you pay, 
the way that utilities interact within Texas as a market versus, say, California. We'll just continue with that, and I'm not picking on California. We have okay. a, lot of, a lot of stuff going on there. Um, but we have deregulated areas, which allow the price to reach uh, very, very close to transmission and distribution prices. Uh, we have regulated areas within Texas. Some of the things that we see in California is playing with net metering, which a lot of in consumers from residents to commercial and industrial are, are not too happy about toying with this, but they do it in some of the other states. So the regulations around that, the fact that we do have deregulated markets and regulated markets for the exchange of these power and utilities makes it a really unique environment for us. And, you know, we, we kind of like playing in this area because we do have ERCOT, which is one grid. We, we, we don't do a lot of selling of our electricity outside of the grid, so we need to think of very innovative ways to maintain this electricity, to store this electricity, uh, to create resi resiliency within our grid. Um, so, no, I'll stop there, but... Definitely unique challenges. I, I, there, I think there's an old, uh, uh, old joke or an old adage uh, in in our industry. Um, and when he mentioned ERCOT, ERCOT's the, you know the, the regulatory uh, authority for for power here in, in Texas. Uh, we have in the United States we have primarily three grids. We have the Eastern Grid, the Western Grid, and then we have Texas. <laughs> so that's uh, that's ERCOT for you. It's uh, um, it's, uh, it's one of those states, it's one of those territories where everything is kind of a packaged deal. Um, outside of SPP, we, uh, we really, as, as you said, we don't, we don't exchange lines with um, neighboring uh, uh, or contiguous states. Uh, very interesting how that, that is uh, kept up. Great, thank you. And Chris, if uh, you could add on to that in terms of... Can you please re... Yeah, re yeah, no, no, no problem at all. Uh, so how do you feel like local politics, um, county regulations, permitting... Um, create opportunity for you here in Texas and also possibly some challenges for you here in Texas? Yep. Um, just coming from the real estate sides, uh, similar to David, um, most big cities right now in Texas are very full at the city. Um, they have permit upon permit submitted. Um, cities are backlogged right now. I think the social media and the internet, and if anybody's heard of the app Nextdoor, where people get in their neighborhood social networks and talk about the neighbor that leaves their trash out too long on the curb. Um, it makes it very difficult and challenging to continue moving permits when there are now these neighborhoods that have banded together and can talk about anything that has to do with growth or change. And so um, we are continuously seeing uh, more and more time added to each project. But to counter that, you're starting to see a lot of the major cities uh, offer ability to pay an additional fee, a five to $10,000 fee, to basically expedite your permit through the city, um, which is a revenue generator. We're certainly taking advantage of that. But um, urban, urban development is, is becoming very, very tough, I think not just in Texas, but all over the country. Great. Thank you. Um, so. The next question uh, I want to ask before starting to move on to the audience to ask our panelists some questions is, um, so when it comes, you know, the reason that you're here um, is to originate some business. What type of business activity would you like to be presented with today? Uh, what type of uh, deals or opportunities uh, would really catch your attention um, within, you know, what our audience has? Um, so we'll start with Chris again. Um, pretty much three, uh, Class B industrial, 
Um, we would look at urban core properties, which we define as um, anything that has kind of a highest and best use component to it. So deals that might need entitlement issues or need highest and best use um, uh, entitlement opportunities, and then really anything that has to do with uh, real estate technology. Um, we would we would love to see those three things. Excellent, thank you, David. Um, in the real estate sector, basically apartments. So if B class apartments, uh, we don't focus on A class apartments just because we're not in the development game. Although we do do select developments, um, that's that type of investment to us is really all about who who has the cheapest capital, and, and it's hard to compete against uh, institutions and pensions and and foreign pensions, in particular. And so basically we focus on sort of B-class, C-type C apartments where you, we can kind of elevate them up to the B-plus. Uh, we also like those, that demographic because that sort of workforce housing is, is pretty strong and resilient and we think, because we think long-term our family office, you know, uh, you know, we like to own portfolios for at least 10 years and so uh, we like those types of markets. And then on the student housing side, it's basically, you know, well-located re real estate at you know, growing universities here, and you've got a number of them in Texas, so. What are the growing universities? Well, the UT system in particular, you know, Austin, Austin, Arlington. Great, and then outside of real estate? Um. Uh, outside of real estate, we don't really have a lot of tech investments in Texas. Our, uh, our, our investors merely more venture capital type investments. So, but usually technology. What kind of technology, if I may ask? Or what kind of things are you guys focused on looking at? Uh, it's. There, there is, embarrassed to admit, it, there is no set strategy. It's really just kind of all over the board. It's more kind of angel type in, investing and early stage investing. So it could be, I mean, we were one of the early investors in Lyft. And so, but it's basically what we see. You see, and, and one of the uh, brothers in, in the family is, is a tech person. And so he's constantly on the prowl. And, and he's based in San Francisco. He's constantly in the prowl and talking to Silicon Valley guys about sort of the latest and greatest new, new apps or, or, or just market disruptors. Yeah, great, excellent. Paul? So we're uh, definitely on the technology side, although uh, real estate's becoming an interesting asset class with roof is roofs now being uh, 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 an asset to generate electricity. But by and large, we're looking for technology that really helps to engage the consumer in a different way. The utility, uh, which is our major uh, investors and strategic partners, are uh, going from you know one touch point, which is not the most favorable because it's usually a bill, to multiple touch points. So we're looking for services to engage the consumer, be it a resident or uh, a company. You know, customer engagement, grid monetization, uh, the push towards microgrids for resiliency, uh, and, and so we don't have to transfer electricity across large spaces. Cybersecurity. We have a lot of IoT devices coming on. All of a sudden, your house, your uh, commercial facility is becoming a uh, generation. We want to make sure that uh, people are not hacking in through that. So mission com critical communications, customer engagement, asset management, anything to make the delivery of these uh, photons to your house, to your business, a little bit more easy, and even monetize them in certain ways. Uh, you know, now people can monetize their assets. If it's a, you know, a 20-acre plot that you're carving out for a little microgrid, that, that might be an interesting area for us. So uh, I will stop there before I uh, you go, go too far. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Paul. Um, I, do you have more to say? And uh, I also had a follow-up question for you. No, go ahead with a follow-up uh, Yeah, so for kind of the companies you guys are looking at now, you know, what would you say your due diligence process is like? What do you guys look out for in a management team? 
Great question. So we are looking for post-prototype, usually looking to scale. We don't have to see early revenues, but we do, do want to see a product uh, a little bit beyond the napkin. And uh, we are looking for uh, anywhere from minority to majority investments. If you look at kind of the cycle, some might say Series A, but the definition of Series A is, is vast. And largely what we're looking at doing is is silos and segments that we could do a roll-up strategy in. So we look at uh, unique classes within that customer engagement, within the IoT cybersecurity side, within the asset management side and planning side. Uh, did that did that get to it a little bit? No, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, he, you also just reminded me, on the tech side, we, we look at also technology related to real estate. So to the extent that it's technology that can enhance the sort of resident customer experience, uh, you know, sort of the, you know, uh, apps that make the the whole uh, living experience much more uh, for students and and for uh, residents in apartments uh, more efficient. Uh, we look at that kind of technology too. You know, this is the exciting part of our industry. Now we have devices like Sense that can listen to your home, that know what's happening, and and help change patterns. So yeah, definitely some synergies there in what we're both looking at. Uh, we're we're agnostic. Uh, when I say that you know we're heavily energy uh, exposed, uh, that's true. But we also have a series of other funds, uh, some venture funds. Um, just kind of give you a couple examples here. We, um, I read every email that comes across my desk myself. Uh, it's not it's not previewed by anybody else. It's not previewed by my assistants. It's not previewed by you know an analyst. I read it myself. I'll take a look at it. You know, and I'll if somebody wants a phone call, I'll take the phone call. Um, and, and, and by that, it, it's opened the opportunity, and, and that is a firm-wide policy that, that I have instilled. Everybody at my firm uh, is to answer the phone and is to respond to an email, period. Um, and that has allowed us some, what would, we, we, what would normally be otherwise uh, opportunities we would have never even considered investing in. One of which was uh, we just did a, 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 a I think it was $500,000 investment in a um, artificial intelligence, natural learning s stuff that's way above my head. Um, and uh, they just, uh, last week, they just placed number four on SQUAD, which is Stanford's question answering, which now means we're putting in 50 million. So we would have never done that had, you know, um, one of my guys uh, at the firm opening the email, taking the call, taking the meeting, learning a little bit about it, and actually understanding that, yeah, this isn't our wheelhouse, but, you know, maybe we can find some hired bodies to determine whether or not this can fit in our wheelhouse. Uh, alongside that, we're doing, uh, we partnered up with um, uh, the real estate folks in this group. We'll probably remember his name, but uh, Dick Fold, uh, former uh, CEO and uh, chairman of Lehman Brothers, we partnered with him on his credit fund and his leasing fund. So again, we're getting in territories that we've never been in before. We've never been in leasing before. We've never been in credit before. Um, so outside of energy, you know, I'll take a look at anything. Uh, if it makes sense, you know, we'll talk. Excellent. So I kind of want to go on, uh, ask a little more about that AI company. Uh, so it was brought to your desk by someone on your team. Uh, they said it should be considered. And then what was the due diligence process like after that? Well, first thing, I think it's important. <laughs> the worst investment I ever made, and this is, this is a precursor, the worst investment I ever made is attending TCU for two years because it was two years and it was four hours of credit um, and $100,000 later. Uh, so that should tell you my, uh, I, I rely heavily on uh, uh, the minds of others around me to help 
make my decisions. Um, so to answer your question, uh, I knew nothing about artificial intelligence. I knew nothing about the, you know, understanding natural language and universal la natural language. Uh, but what we did do is uh, the gentleman that brought it to me, um, uh, Ben, uh, said we need to take a serious look at this. And we have connections all across the country, all across the globe, and we had one that um, uh, was uh, runs part of Caltech's laboratory, um, their intelligence laboratory, and brought it to him and uh, had him vet it out. And literally within 15 days, we had a we had an agreement. Wow, excellent! And that's I'm I'm glad you shared that because many times when I have conversations with a lot of our members, um, they you know, the big focus is have these investors invested in XYZ before. And many times my answer, because of panels like this, is I have these panels and I see where many investors are open to looking at new ideas, new technologies, new concepts, if it's presented to them in a tactful, professional way. Um, like this company must have approached you, right? Because I'm assuming, like you said, you look at everything, but many times maybe the approach isn't all there for you to take it to that next step. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't I don't recall ever getting an email that said, "Hey, I have a really bad investment for you to take a look at." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, so yeah, it, it does take it does take time, and, and you know, I, I guess my advice towards uh, those that do you know reach out uh, out of the blue is just to try to obviously find a connection if you can. Um, if you can't, then keep it simple. Um, uh, you know, just, just here's my idea, um, and here's what I'm looking for. Here's what I, here's the problem I think it solves. Here's the problem, and uh, that generally uh, opens the door, at least for people like me. And I'm an oddball, so I may be the, uh, the odd one out here, but it works for me. Great. No, but I, I would agree with that uh, completely. Especially, I mean, my big advice would be to, you know, get your ducks in, in a row. I mean. On the real estate side, on tech side, you know, every, every, again, everyone thinks they've got the greatest investment. You know, everyone thinks their child is the most beautiful child and shows you their photos. And so you need to, you know, what I would stress is have some people, you know, make your pitch and have people evaluate it for you before you actually go to the investors to make the pitch. So at least then you're, you're prepared because the worst thing to happen, and it's happened to all of us, I'm sure, encountered it. When you start asking intelligent questions, if you've got some knowledge in the field or, or, or you get assistance from people who have knowledge in the field, you know, the not well thought out ideas start to fall apart. And if you're more, th if you're well thought out, the more well thought out you are, the more likely you'll, you know, pique our interest and, you know, get further interest in activity. Excellent. Paul? You, you know, you raised an interesting point. Uh, you know, w when I first started looking at deals in 2000, and I thought everything looked so great. It's like, oh, this looks good. This looks good. So I knew I was going to suck at this industry. <laughs> and it, what was funny is after a, a few hard lessons, you, you, you get to look at the investments in a, very, in a very interesting way. I mean, we focus on digitalization, decarbonization, and democratization, you know, really empowering the consumer. But what I look at is how much have they invested in themselves? You know, you can tell a lot by the person just by looking at that. And there's so many different technologies out there. I don't think anything hasn't already been invented. But does that team have the power to do that? Is your gut telling you, hey, 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 hold on here? So, I, you know, I, no matter how much we still look at the technology, and I've been on the AI and ML side, and I forgot about power storage, and I'm just like, man, I really don't understand this. But when it comes back to it, you know, look at the human. Look at how much they've invested in their own well-being. And sometimes we have uncomfortable conversations for, I guess, for the other party, where we say, great idea, 
bad management. And, you know, and sometimes they take the advice of, okay, they'll step aside, and sometimes they don't, and, you know, the results speak for themselves. But uh, sometimes if you, you know, if you hear those words, <laughs> uh, it's not because uh, someone's just trying to, you know, stop you down. It's because, you know, <laughs> they generally believe that it's bad management. It probably is. Chris, if you could elaborate a little bit on your due diligence process, what you look out for, what puts a red flag up for you, and what puts a green flag up for you. Yep. Um, I've been a generalist for a long time, and I'm starting to become more and more narrowly focused on a couple things. Um, just trying to get really, really good at two things or three things. Um, and I would just say, and I tell my team this all the time, um, if you're going to be in the investment world and, and your goal is to go 100 for 100, uh, chances are, well, one, that will never happen. But two, um, you will learn a lot more from the ones that you fail on than the ones that you succeed on. And so um, while I think being a generalist has made me a little more focused and it, it continues to teach you something all the time, I don't know if that means I will focus on the same two things for the rest of my life, but I, I really am cognizant of trying to keep maybe two, three max kind of big themes in my head and just get as good as I can at those, meet all the right people in those fields, um, and have our team kind of have a North Star that they know what they're marching towards. Great, thank you. Um, and so for our members, as you, if you don't already know, just remember you can always submit your pitch decks, your one-pagers directly to our team for Richard to review and give you about a three to five page report outlining where he thinks improvements can be made. Those have been very hi highly beneficial to a lot of um, our members. Um, you know, for an example, somebody sent us a pitch deck, their one-liner, you know, their value proposition is that they provide value to their clients by really taking care of them. Um, and so every company's position should be to provide value. Um, so it's not so unique. So it's really working on developing, you know, what makes you different, what, once again, what problem are you solving and what, and how are you solving it more efficiently than all your competitors raising capital around you. Uh, so I think I have time for one or two questions maybe from our audience. So uh, does anybody have a question they'd like to ask one of our panelists? Right here in the front, Jock. There's a mic right behind you, Jacques. We, uh, we're a multifamily development group, and we've been blessed to uh, go vertical in several cities within uh, Texas. We're currently going vertical in uh, Fort Worth. And working with City of Fort Worth for permitting and for variances and everything has been great. They've been a great city to work with. However, we have comparable product in other states, and we find that uh, because of the tax code in multifamily, we take a significant hit at uh, time of liquidation here in Texas that we don't experience in other states. That's actually even reducing our appetite to want to continue to do uh, more vertical deals here in Texas. What do you know about uh, the state's awareness of their uh, negative impact on taxes on multifamily developers, and are we missing something or is it, uh, we have a comparable deal to the one we're building here uh, on the Trinity River uh, in uh, Florida, in Navarre, Florida, and uh, same product, about the same level of invest investment, um, and it's about a 25% hit difference on our liquidation in Texas as it is in uh, Florida. So we, we're wondering, are, are we missing something? Is there something that you guys know that we don't know or is it, that's just the way it is in Texas? You're not missing anything. Um, 
there is a lot of legislation going on at the state level uh, to reduce property taxes. You look at properties in downtown Austin where the tax rate as part of the triple nets is 18 to 22 bucks a foot of the triple net. I mean, it's getting, it's more, you're paying more in taxes now than you were in your rental rate 10 years ago. I don't have a solution. Um, I know it's heavily being talked about. I know Fort Worth try and, tries to knock it down a penny or two every year, but um, yeah, I wish it could be better, to be honest. Yeah, we don't, we don't do ground up development in Texas, but um, you know, we, we know developers who do, and yeah, it, it, I've heard of those issues, and it is a problem, and, and you, know, I know, you know, I hire more tax people in Texas to contest assessments yeah. and other things than I do in you know, other states, I don't do that. And so there's definitely is issues on that. Uh, I s for us, at least, you know, sort of the positives still out outweigh the negatives. I mean, we're, we're still doing well, and, and yeah, you gotta pay some taxes. But <laughs> I know. would add that Texas is a non-disclosure state, so at all costs that you can keep your information private, highly encouraged to do so. It's not always the easiest thing to do. Um, I know the appraisal districts have a team that are seeking out that information, but it is something we talk about in our office. We religiously try and keep anything with a price on it uh, secretive, mainly for that reason. Fantastic. And I'll take one more question here in the front. I just want a little more clarification. So are you speaking solely to property taxes? Property taxes, there's no other uh, multifamily problem that you guys see to take a hit on other than property tax. C correct. That. All right. So I did want to get another question maybe on the technology uh, or renewable energy side, uh, but our time is now cut short. So I will be walking my panelists all the way to the breakout room. You guys can wait to hold your conversations until we actually get all the way to the back room. But other than that, guys, I want to give one more round of applause to Thank our you. panelists. Thank you so much you. for the great insight. And I'll bring back up.